buckle up for the Uncommon Leader Podcast. Just friends hanging out and breaking down leadership challenges and unwrapping techniques that can be applied to make a difference. A fun look at what is possible if we lead in an uncommon way. An invitation to be the champion we were created to be. Not your typical leadership podcast. Welcome back, Uncommon Leader Podcast Nation. Each week, I interview guests, uncommon leaders from various walks of life and various points on their leadership journey. This week, I flipped the script just a little bit, and I'm sharing an excerpt from a recent Lean Blog podcast hosted by Mark Graben. Mark interviewed me and chatted with me about many things on my leadership journey, such as these things. Where did my lean origin come from? Who have been mentors in my career? A little bit about my career path that I've chosen as well the genesis of the Uncommon Leader podcast and the mission behind Growing Champions, which I think was really fun to share, and a definition of uncommon when he asked me about that. I thought that was a really good question. So I think you're going to enjoy this podcast. I think you're going to enjoy hearing a little bit from Mark as he questions me on a little bit of my uncommon journey. And I hope that you'll follow Mark at the end of this podcast at markgraben.com, where you can find the full episode of this interview. I know that you'll enjoy the whole thing. So let's get started. Thanks for listening. What, what's your lean origin story? Like where, did, where and when did you first get exposed to this? I like this question. It's something I had thought about as I listened through your podcast. And, and it, it feels funny to say it, but it goes back almost 25 years, which doesn't seem quite possible. But I was an industrial engineer or uh, industrial, I don't know even, even what my title was, continuous improvement engineer or something like that. And we were launching on this thing called Lean. And like many others, I was pretty skeptical as I got started. I was, I was out of college for a few years, but had been trained with a manufacturing company that had been in the traditional MRP world and batch and queue. And that's really all that I knew at the time when they started throwing out these terms. It really was interesting. So to have a sensei come in really to our factory for the first time and, and tell us how things need to change dramatically and go forward. Ad- admittedly, I was a little skeptical, uh, especially when we got friends from our division headquarter that came with them to go along and make this change. But I got to tell you, it was an easy transition for me after that first event. And what I observed, I was hooked and there wasn't enough information I could get my hands on, but it was an assembly rapid improvement event. We were trained by Moffitt Associates and Bill Moffitt. He was my first teacher in Lean, and I found him to be both challenging and uh, entertaining, to say the least, as it went through from a sensei standpoint. And he was very helpful on my Lean journey. And I really try to model some of my behaviors as well as uh, some of the things that I say after Bill today. There's, There's a lot we could sort of dig into there from what you said. I'd be curious to hear more of your, your thought process of having a couple years of experience in a traditional system leading to some skepticism, like for better or for worse. And in some ways it was a challenge for me. I was exposed like very much at the beginning of my career that lean was the right idea. That didn't mean that the organization I worked in practiced it, but I was already biased toward lean. Can, can you share a little bit more about that thought process of where you were starting to get biased toward the, the quote unquote, the way it's always been done? Yeah, I think that's pretty, that's a great question. And, and as I 
as I learned a little bit on my lean journey, and then I hearkened back to the first few years, I'm like, oh my gosh, what could have been possible? So I'll, I'll just tell you a story. The first job I had coming out of college as a uh, mechanical engineer, I went to uh, a wiper blade manufacturer in Indiana. And we started out, and, and you got to, I mean, again, when you start to think about this from a lean standpoint, it's absolutely excruciating. But they had the traditional lineup of punch press departments and a cleaning line, and then a sub assembly line, and then assembly and packaging. And every time you got one of those steps done, you went and put it back in the warehouse and counted it to make sure you had good control of what parts were there to think about. And my one of my second jobs was to be the scheduler for the paint line. Now, you got to really have fun and, and start to laugh about this because what I had to do was go to the paint line supervisor and say, okay, here's this stuff that's available to paint today in front of your line. Let's count it go ahead and paint it, and then we'll put it in the warehouse. And that was about 15 minutes a day of real work. And then I'm like, is this really what it's supposed to be? So, but again, I guess that influence, that first that first job out, that first opportunity out, not knowing a whole lot of difference in going through with it, I just felt it was like the way that everybody did it. And so that's how I get wired over the first few years. And then when I saw the opportunity to say, why do we do all these things? Why do we make all these counts? Why do we stop and wait and put things into these parts of hotels, as my teacher, Bill Moffat used to call them, and just leave it out there and get it done. So it was just more than anything else on the process mapping side of it was to understand the amount of time these you know, parts spent waiting for something to actually happen to them when it really didn't have to happen. It just, it, it clicked so uh, so well and so logical. And then as it wired me over 25 years, it wasn't just about work anymore. It was about it really became a way of life as well. And you saw things, whether it's restaurants or service industry or whatever that was that had an influence on me, but it was something that stuck more than anything else. And I was glad I got introduced to it when I did back in 1997. Early enough, it seems. And it, it, and it, you know, one thing I think I've, I, I hope I've gotten better at this over time is having empathy for people whose time in the old system isn't measured in years, but in decades. Like oh, that, that, that leads that's to more point. skepticism. Yeah. Individuals that have been in that system like that for so long. Yeah. Again, I had one or two years in that system. And I know there are people in those organizations that have been in that for 25 or 30 years. I mean, it's just crazy how that happened. Now, again, your point about empathy, I, I use the, the term oftentimes, especially when I'm consulting now is, you know, meeting them where they are. And as we see different organizations go through different transformations, as Sensei, we have to be very aware of where those individuals and where those organizations are on their journey. They're not going to be the same place that an organization that's been on the lean transformation journey for five or even 10 years is when they first get started. So having the empathy and trying to meet them and, and share your stories, that's a big part of what happens. Let me share stories with you about how others change as you go through that. The first Kaizen event, the first Sensei, mm -hmm. you're talking about Bill Moffat. Like, you know, how, how much detail can you share? What, what do you recall about that first event? It sounds like you know there was an element of we're from headquarters, we're here to help. That's not always well received. But what, what, how much do you remember about that first event and the dynamics there? Yeah, I love some of the Bill Moffat isms. And one of the things he said to us at the end of the day, on the on either the second day or the third day, from a report out standpoint, as he was meeting with us. And I still use this today with clients and those listening who have met me before probably heard me say this, but he says, I'm not here to comfort the afflicted. I'm here to afflict the comforted. And what it really was about 
was the standpoint of saying, look, you've done things a certain way for so long and you've been air quotes successful at what you've done in that space. You've been profitable, but it's really not about what you've made. It's about what you've left on the table. And what he really talked about was you all are too comfortable in your ways. And it's not my job as a consultant to be quote, Minnesota nice to you and tell you what's going on. I'm going to tell you where, where things need to change. And I'm going to push you to a space you wouldn't go. And I need, you know, at, at times, you know, that while he was trained by the Japanese, so he didn't have the same rough abrasive approach as the traditional Jap- Japanese. And if he said, you know, Shingo Jitsu or whoever was teaching there and how they would use a really, uh, let's say brash approach with leadership, he, he would do that if he had to, but it wasn't like him. And that's what I appreciated about some of his changes, but for some of his approaches in terms of being a good teacher, but he was there again, to probably push us to a place we would not have gone on our own. And that's what I, I know that to be true for sure. And as experiences, I mean, the first book that I read on lean was lean thinking while written by Jim Womack and, and understood in the great story about wire mold, Bill had worked at wire mold. He had trained the Japanese. So his name was all through that book, his and Bob Pentland. And then so there are about four other consultants that made up Moffitt Associates at the time. And, and so it seems like that combination of meeting people where they are, but pushing them is key. Like meeting where they are doesn't mean let them stay where they are. That That's right. There, there, there's an art. And I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, some of your reflections of times when, you know, you're trying to figure out how hard should I push? How hard can I push? You want, you want to move them forward without people then without them disengaging altogether, like where, where do you find, how do you find that balance? Well, that's a great question. And and not one, I mean, if, if every consultant could figure that out, they'd have, they definitely have more success inside of that space. And so, you know, much like even being a team leader as an employee, as a consultant, you've got to go in Kim Cheney, another ism. Kim Cheney was another consultant. They worked with me at Simpler and he was a good friend and he worked with me in the manufacturing world as well as a VP of manufacturing but he would talk about real early on, you got to know your chickens and those chickens would be the ones that without being rude in terms of understanding was that know which team members you were really able to uh, have an influence with find out which ones were the influencers. Cause you didn't have to tell the whole team to make a change, but you had to find the one or two on the team that were willing to take a risk and then let the others follow them. It wasn't always comfortable. It wasn't always easy but it was a matter of finding the right people that would that would trigger that change. And you, you didn't want to do that in finding the, the bosses that were on the, the teams, but it was the one where the influencers in the shop who could really help you as a consultant be successful and make that work. We used to talk about a simpler, the three R's that really determined our success, reputation, relationships, and results. And if we weren't building relationships with those clients, it wasn't just about beating them over the head with the Toyota production system or the simpler business system, but it was to tell them we were going with them on that journey and that we were going to, we were going to help them. And it was a, a team effort. So I wanted to you know, hear about, we look at some of the career steps that you, you know, they're shown in your bio. You talked about being a second shift supervisor and then becoming an operations manager and then being a division president. I mean, what, what are some of the different things you learned from those roles. It sounds like as a division president, then you had broader business responsibility, P&L responsibility beyond operations. Can, can you tell us about some of that progression? Sure. I mean, coming right out of college, I was, I was 
fortunate enough to work for an organization, Cooper Industries at the time, going through a manufacturing training program with them that gave me the experience, if you will, in four different facets of manufacturing and at two different locations. So we knew that coming out that we were going to be at least two different locations and probably three as we came forward. But we were going to do assignments in quality assurance. We were going to do an assignment in materials. We were going to do assignment in manufacturing engineering, and then an assignment in production supervision. And they didn't have to all happen in that exact order. But those experiences, that well-rounded component of it was pretty valuable as I went through that as an organization. As a result of really those four, and I didn't have any lean experience going through that, but you know, the the learning to lead people, especially on a second shift when there's nobody else in leadership there to go to with questions and things like that. I was the only supervisor on second shift in the facility we had in Chicago. It was great experience, especially from a leadership development standpoint and understanding that it wasn't just about being an engineer that made me smart. It was about leadership and working with others that helped to carry that forward. I got to say that the, the evolution of the, the roles, whether they went from uh, facility engineer to facility manager or site manager to VP of operations and manufacturing and subsequently the division president in Fort Wayne, Indiana, was more about the ability to get things done through others to understand that you had to put a great team in place and develop the team that that needed to be there. You had to have a structure to go through it as well. I mean, in in the end of the time I had in Roanoke, Virginia with Cooper Industries or Eaton, it really was about us being early on the journey and implementing lean. And by by doing that and by having some success, I was able to, in essence, get recruited to the next opportunity. But I think more than anything else, it's about the leadership characteristics of integrity and and valuing other people and the consistency of approach that worked and got, got me those opportunities. When I left the division president role in 2006, it was at my choice. I, I made the choice to move back to Roanoke, Virginia for family purposes and actually got started in real estate and decided to take some of the lean learnings that I had in manufacturing and see if I could handle that in, in real estate sales, residential real estate sales. And I teamed up with my mother-in-law to form a real estate team. And within 18 months, we were the number one performing team in, in the Roanoke Valley, which was good. And it was about setting up standard work for how to handle listings and about setting up standard work for handling closings and still focusing on that relationship side of what was happening there. I rode the real estate market all the way to the bottom in 2008, 2009. And it got to where that business wasn't a whole lot of fun anymore as I went through that. And so I was assessing whether or not I wanted to get back into manufacturing and operations. And I got a call from coworkers who said, hey, why don't you go work for this simpler consulting company, do lean consulting? I said, look, I got, I got no desire to be a consultant. I really don't. I don't, I don't have any interest in that travel life that, that needs to be done. And it's just not something. And they called me back two times. And the third time they called me back and said, look, we know you said don't do that. But what if you did it in healthcare, the lean in healthcare? And I hadn't really heard of that or associated that before. I said, that sounds kind of interesting and, and another good experience. And as I wrote a note to myself, I said, maybe I'm naive enough to believe that I could actually make a difference inside of that space and working with some of the individuals in that area. So I said, okay, I'll try that for a couple of years and then get back into operations at some other point. It was a good, good experience, I thought, to get in. And that was 11 years ago. And I've been doing it kind of ever since, if you will, inside of healthcare. A, the time goes by so fast. But secondly, is I really found that I, I was interested in it, especially on the healthcare side. 
And I found to be pretty good at it in terms of the relationships that I build, especially with the C-suite and some of the leaders in these organizations and helping to make a difference. So I've hung around in it. It's just something that's worked out pretty well. I'm curious to hear what was the inspiration for starting the podcast and why a podcast with this really interesting theme? Sure. Thanks for that question. I think it's something that's been uh, brewing uh, for a long time in me. I mean, I've thought of for a long time about really the opportunity of running my own business, both coaching and consulting in a little different way, especially from a leadership development standpoint, which is something I've had a passion for really since my first mentor introduced um, the first leadership book to me, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell back in 1998. And I, much like in 1997, when I became hooked on lean, that book and that leader hooked me on leadership development as well and the important side of leadership development. And so, you know, the, the definition, the uncommon leader really got started with a good leader can help an organization to, to grow. A good coach can help a team to win a few games, but a great leader or an uncommon leader, an uncommon coach is one that not only helps them to win, but also makes a difference in their life as well. So it's success in both work and in life from a vocation standpoint. The, the word uncommon really came from a, a daily devotional book that I read, Tony Dungy, and he wrote the Uncommon Life Daily Devotional as I look at the book. This is the football coach, Tony football Dungy. Coach, Tony he's, Dungy. He's got, yeah. Read it on a daily basis still, absolutely, in terms of the uncommon life. Uncommon life. And that's the daily, that's a daily reading from Tony Dungy. And he talked about he had a football coach in his life that really, you know, defined uncommon as doing the an ordinary thing in an uncommon way. Such that again, that the results were everlasting, that they were legacy type. And so the Uncommon Leader podcast was really born out of who are the leaders that I know that are uncommon, that have taken really what their skills are in terms of business or in terms of ministry or in terms of sports or whatever that is, and really done things in an uncommon way, gotten uncommon results with what they've done. And one of the things we've talked about is that their, you know, their approach is such that they've not had to run over people, but they've influenced people to get things done. I mean, Mark, you know this in in your career, as I've, as I've watched your career, your primary role is that of an influencer. You're asking people on a regular basis to change in whatever space that is, whether that's through your blogs or, or your uh, podcasts or your consulting side of the business as well. And they can tell you no. I mean, because they, they, they're still, they should pay you for it. Absolutely. But they can absolutely ignore you. So you've got to be an influencer in their life. that's making a difference to say, I need to listen to this person and really understand what they have to say. So I like to interview leaders on the Uncommon Leader podcast that really have made a difference in my life, have been ones that I've seen. I have this list of kind of those ones that I've come in touch with that I want to talk to on side of that podcast and ones I've never met before who have still had an influence on my life as well, though, whether it's through their their writing or their uh, blogging or, or their uh, work that they've done as well in terms of that influence. And that's how, that's how it was born. So it's been pretty cool so far. I've had a good time with it. Well, good. Who, who are some of the guests that you've had on? I've had uh, Dr. Paul Deshaun, who is the former CEO of Sutter Gould Medical Foundation, the author of Preventive Physician Burnout. One of my mentors, Tom Carmazzi, who is the retired CEO of the, the Tuthill Corporation. Got one coming out tomorrow, though, by my, my trainer, Margot Bellinger, who was my fitness trainer for two years and helped me on my personal fitness and health transformation from 
260 pounds down to 185 pounds that I've been at now for a couple of years and made a huge difference in my life from that standpoint. I've had my pastor who's been my spiritual mentor as well as I've gone through the journey and how he has influenced me. And I've had other executive coaches like yourself. I've had coach Bill Hart from the coaching company that I received coaching from for about seven years on the executive coaching side. So some really, some really interesting folks that have, that have been on and, and looking forward to pulling me more people into that conversation as well. And then what are some things that I could learn from him? Cause I think, well, he, he was certainly having to meet me where I was, but he also pushed mm-hmm. me thinking Absolutely, back to things right? you said earlier. You know, I think about that and it's a story uh, that goes back. I was having a meeting with several of the the simpler internal sensei we were in. There's about six of us, six or seven of us in a room. And one of the uh, guys asked me, he said, you know, John, you, you've been working with a trainer and things are going pretty good. Are you going to keep working with the trainer? And I, I said his name. I said, look, we are consultants in the continuous improvement space. Don't we continue to encourage our clients to stay with us on the continuous improvement journey as well? So the parallels are amazing. In terms of the business model that is growing champions, it's really about the whole person approach to transformation on the coaching side, success coaching, if we want to go at that. And I, I refer to it as the seven Fs. And just one of them, my the future that I talk about, and there's a story within that, is your career. But the other side of finances and faith and fitness, fun, friendships, you know, those are ones that you need coaches on as well, whether they're paid coaches or whether they're mentors in some way, shape, or form, you better find one in each area if you want to get better in each area of your life. And it does take that coach, again, back to that definition of an uncommon coach, is one who will take you to a place you never would have gone on your own. And you, you see that. I mean, you may not, if you have not been working with that trainer in San Antonio, much like me working with Margo in Roanoke, Virginia, I still stay in touch with her, although I don't live in, in Roanoke anymore over the past 18 months, but you know, I can still hear her in some of my personal workouts in my ear, pushing me just one, one more time. And uh, some of those, you'll have to listen to that podcast if you get a chance, Mark, and really talk about how she used to torture me pretty well. That's for sure. <laughs> but, for, but for a purpose, kind of like your Absolutely. sensei or some of the, the other folks that uh, you talk about that traditional style, just go back for a minute. You know, there's this term that would be applied to some of these Japanese sensei, or they would even apply it to themselves, insultant as opposed mm, to. Ins- absolutely consultant. But, you know, I think of, of Lenny pushing me, there was this balance where, I mean, he couldn't make it a competition of like, you know, cause he would work out with me. So he's not just telling me what to do. He's working out, he's demonstrating what good looked like, both in terms of form. And like, I don't think I will ever be as fit as Lenny, but it wasn't a point of like him shaming me or making me feel bad. Right. <laughs> or look, exactly. what, look, look what I can do. Why don't you do that? No, that's the other side. That's right. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't an ego. It wasn't coming from no. ego. No. There was definitely purpose inside of that, that again, those individuals know, and that's the uncommon side that those individuals, when you work with someone like that, you know, they have your best interest at heart. And it's not just about them. It's about you more than it is about them. Well, I think that's the difference in doing and being right regardless of, of where you are in your improvement journey, whether it's a lean transformation, whether it's a personal health transformation, or whether it's, again, in a different area of your life, there's, there's doing, there's checking boxes, there's you know saying, I did those things, but then there's being, it becomes part of who you are. And so you become, and you, you talked about a little bit, like you say things to yourself, like, I am a healthy person. I am a fit person. That's a different mindset than saying, 
I don't know if I can be a healthy person. I don't know if I have what it takes to be a fit person and go forward with that. So your recognition of that mindset is, is really big. I could be like Lenny, but I choose to be who I want to be, who I need to be, to be healthy. Adam Ward and I, and I know, you know, Adam as well. I don't know if you've interviewed him before on your podcast, but he, he's a, he's a good friend. And he was a big influence on me on the fitness side and in the, the lean space with his innovation expertise. But, you know, he used to be one to say, look, just, just start with something small. And, you know, we ended up, he and I ended up using a hashtag, even in teaching called stop eating French fries. Like what's the, what's one thing that's getting in your way now that you can stop small rather than trying to go all in too fast. Cause you go too fast and, it, and it, at best it becomes difficult to make that a lifestyle change and become who you are. Okay. John's company is growing champions LLC. Who, who, you know, what's the profile of uh, the individuals or organizations that you work with now in that executive coaching and, and mentoring? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the individual leader that I'm targeting, you know, it's interesting, kind of told the story of, of me coming up where that went from industrial engineer to facility manager, facility manager to VP of manufacturing. And the, the ideal client for me, whether it's, you know, industry agnostic in terms of how I go through that, but is that person looking to make that jump to the next level, if you will, whether they're going from engineer to manager, from manager to executive, you know, frankly, from executive to considering retirement and understanding what that means for them in the future as well, you know, becomes an ideal individual client for me on a one-on-one success coaching level. It's a whole person approach that I work with. What do you think? I hope you enjoyed that. I want to thank Mark Graben for interviewing me on his podcast and allowing me to share some of my story with him. I encourage you to go and listen to the whole episode again at markgraben.com or you can find his podcast at leanblog.org. If you enjoyed this episode, there are many things you can do to spread the learning. You can share it with a friend, which would be pretty valuable. You can hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or subscribe on whatever the podcast platform is that you used you can go get the older episodes at growingchampions.net backslash podcast to hear from other uncommon leaders or you can drop me a note at john at growingchampions.net and let me know if there's any other topics you'd like me to cover or if there's someone that you know that you think should be on the uncommon leader podcast i love hearing from more guests until next time go and grow champions